They stopped on a hill overlooking the town And Joseph, he lifted his wife to the ground To give the donkey a rest from its load And to see the star that brightened the road Bethlehem, Bethlehem, how could you know Your crowds and your laughter, your streets all aglow Bethlehem, Bethlehem, your travelers are worn. Why won't you make room for Christ to be born? Wise men, they followed that heavenly star. Carrying gifts, they traveled afar. And they rode into town, looking for news, shouting, where is he born? King of the Jews Bethlehem, Bethlehem How could you know Your crowds and your laughter Your streets all aglow Bethlehem, Bethlehem Your travelers are worn Why won't you make room For Christ to be born Jesus is looking tonight for a heart to welcome him in and begin a new start. But the hustle and bustle and holiday cheer shadow the star that once was so clear. Bethlehem, Bethlehem, how could you know your crowds and your laughter, your streets all aglow? Bethlehem, Bethlehem, your travelers are warned. Why won't you make room for Christ to be born? Why won't you make room for Christ to be born? If you have your Bibles, please turn with them to Matthew, the first chapter, verses 18 through 23. And uh, as you're turning, uh, I wanted to share an epiphany I had. And epiphany means a sudden flash of light insight. The first 30 people that were to come up here and testify about what Christmas means to them and what Jesus means to them, those 30 people to combined would do a better sermon than I'm going to do right now. Do you know that? And the reason for that is that everybody has a testimony in their heart about what Jesus has done for them. And that testimony has a power and a glory attached to it that is more meaningful and more insightful than anything that I could give you from this pulpit today. Many of you know that I'm a historian, and you know also that the Civil War is, is my, uh, my uh, specialty, all right? And uh, you might remember that I, I told you guys 
what happened on the Rappahannock River between the Union and Confederate soldiers on Christmas Day, where they put their weapons down and they, they declared peace. And that particular incident happened over and over during the Civil War. And one of the reasons that we celebrate Christmas the way we do it is because of the Civil War. Because for four long years, you weren't able to go home for Christmas. If you were a soldier, you were there. And that was it. You didn't go home. And after the Civil War, uh, Andrew Johnson, of course, was the president after Lincoln was assassinated. And he had so many troubles in his administration that he didn't even think about Christmas. But when Ulysses Grant became president, he made a historic and game-changing decision that transferred the, transformed the way we all celebrate Christmas. In 1870, he officially declared Christmas a national holiday, marking a significant milestone in American history and solidifying the festive season as a beloved tradition observed by everybody from all walks of life. And Grant's decision came at a time when Christmas was already widely celebrated across the United States, but it had not been recognized as an official national holiday. And because of the deprivation during the Civil War, Christmas with your family became highly prized and desired. And after the war, with the aim of fostering unity and promoting a shared cultural identity during the post-Civil War Reconstruction period, Grant's proclamation had far-reaching implications. And one of the immediate outcomes of Christmas becoming a national holiday was that all federal employees were granted a day off on December 25th. And this allowed families to gather, exchange gifts, and engage in festive activities without the burden of work obligations. The recognition of Christmas as a national holiday further submitted its place as a vital element of American culture. In summary, President Grant's declaration of Christmas as a national holiday in 1870 fundamentally changed the way Americans celebrate this special time of year. With the official recognition of Christmas, Grant promoted unity, fostered a shared cultural identity, and granted everyone the opportunity to observe and celebrate this cherished tradition. His visionary decision left an indelible mark on American culture, ensuring that Christmas would continue to hold a place of pride and significance in the hearts and homes of Americans across the nation. And what I, what I got a kick as a side note, somebody asked a, a lawyer, uh, this morning on the news. Do you think Christmas could be a declared a national holiday today? He said, not a chance. Not a chance. Let us go to our scripture today. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord to the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. May God add a blessing to the reading of his precious word today. I don't know how many of you remember a radio commentary uh, by the name of Paul Harvey. Some, most, most do. 
And when I was a child, my dad was a Paul Harvey fanatic. And every year he would listen to the Christmas story that Paul Harvey would tell. And many of you know this story. You could probably recite it by heart. But I'd like to read it to you today because it exemplifies why Christ had to come better than anything that I've heard before. The man who I'm going to introduce you was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man. Generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other men. But he just did not believe all that incarnation stuff which the churches proclaimed at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife, but I'm not going with you to church this Christmas Eve. He said he would feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather just stay at home, but that he would wait up for them. And so he stayed while they went to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to, win to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier, and then he went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound. Then another. Then another. Sort of a thump or a thud. At first he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against his living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter had tried to fly through his large landscape window. Well, he couldn't let the poor creatures lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabbed, stashed their pony. That would provide a warm shelter if he could direct the birds to it. Quickly, he put on a coat, galoshes, trampled through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on a light, but the birds did not come in. He figured food would entice them. So he hurried to the house, he fetched breadcrumbs, sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking them around, waving his arm. Instead, they scattered in every direction except into the warm-lighted barn. And then he realized they were afraid of him. To them he realized, I am a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they can trust me, that I'm not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Because any move he made tended to frighten them and confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. By the way, I had her provide the thumping sound. <laughs> if only I could be a bird, he thought to himself, and mingle with them and speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to safety, to the warm, safe barn. But I would have to be one of them so they could see and hear and understand. And at that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sound of the wind, and he stood there listening to the bells. Oh, come all ye faithful, listening to the bells, pealing 
the glad tidings of Christmas, and he sank to his knees in the snow. There's a lot of people that had a mark on, on Christmas. One of them was a lady by the name of Celestine Sibley, and I doubt very seriously anybody here has heard of her. But back in the day, she was a great reporter of, in Atlanta, Georgia. And she tells the story one time of her father saying to her mother one gray December morning, the lumber business is going badly. It looks like a poor Christmas this year. And her mother cried out, a poor Christmas? Shame on you. There is no such thing as a poor Christmas. Times can be hard and people poor, but Christmas stands by itself as glorious and unmatched by anything else in history. Now here was a mother who was a little girl before, during the Civil War. She was alive during a Christmas when Union soldiers burned everything and took all the food. And you might remember that you wore your stockings all day long and then you hung them on the fire so that they would dry out and the smoke would kill all the vermin that might be in them. And you hung those stockings and people would slip things into the stocking. And this year, there was nothing. And Celestine wore up, woke up to an empty stocking on Christmas Day. She had an enthusiasm for Christmas, for she saw it as a celebration of the good news that all the bad news in the world could not alter. A poor Christmas was a contradiction in terms. You might as well speak of a poor ocean, or a poor moon, or a poor sun, or a poor galaxy. There are some things you just can't diminish, and Christmas is one of them. Christmas is a celebration of a glorious event that all the powers of hell cannot make not to have been. It is too late for a poor Christmas to ever be. The spirit of Christmas has spread around the world. Ever since that night, the angels infected the shepherds with this spirit. It has been contagious. We usually connect the word contagion with disease and the spreading of germs from one person to another. But if you look up the word in the dictionary, you discover it applies to positive things too. Enthusiasm can be contagious and praise can be contagious. The communication of any influence to the mind or the heart can become contagious. How many of you remember back in the 60s when the moon astronauts came back to Earth? And they were placed in a lengthy quarantine because NASA was afraid they might release something into Earth's atmosphere. And I always like to think it's a good thing that angels came before the age of science. Science, scientists worry about alien contamination. Can you imagine what they would have expected the Christmas angels to go through? If they put moon rocks and astronauts through such restrictions, they would have insisted that they stay in some kind of angelic delousing chamber before they were permitted to communicate with men. The risk would have been enormous that these things could have spread something that would have radically altered the human race. And in fact, they did just that. The angels were contagious with the good news of great joy. And this spirit broke through the barrier between heaven and earth and infected the shepherds. They were instantly cured of their fear. Remember, angels were beings to be feared. 
The last time an angel had stepped on the earth, he killed 185,000 people and stopped the invasion of Judah. Very terrifying creatures. But that enthusiasm that was in the shepherd's heart cured their fear. And filled with enthusiasm to see the announced child in Bethlehem, the Bible says, when they seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about the child. What they had seen was truly contagious. And they began to spread it to everyone they had contact. Before the first Christmas day had ended, the world had an epidemic on its hands. For the Christmas spirit is indeed contagious. It was spread by mouth from one person to another. If you were a carrier, you could give it to a lot of people quickly. And I don't know how you are with this. I'm just going to say it. What the Bible says, I believe. And while we live our world, we live in our world, we live in our lives, we interact with the people we know, primary people, secondary people, tertiary people, go down the list. But in the background, behind the curtain, is another world. A world of angels and demons and things that we really would rather not talk about. And Satan and many of his mad scientists have tried to prevent the spread of this contagious spirit. They have labored hard to find a cure, but to no avail. The Christmas contagion has leaped all boundaries and spread into all the world. A, senior car a single carrier of the Christmas spirit can infect unlimited amounts of people. Uh, I like to look at advertisements for my hometown. And many of you are aware of the Dillard's uh, department store. And uh, one of the ads they had in the Jackson Daily News was, if you want to hear Merry Christmas, come shop at Dillard's. I love that. I love that. I know they did it to bring people into their store, but I love that. Many of you like to read the guidepost, and I do too. And the guidepost some years ago told the story of an American family in France. The parents and three sons were having a perfectly awful time. Their car broke down, their hotel was a dump, and they had to walk in the rain to a drab little restaurant for dinner. The wife ordered a meal in French and got something she didn't want. I suspect it was escargot. The husband called her stupid, and their attitudes matched the negative atmosphere. A French couple at the next table were not exactly helping. The father slapped one of his children and started him crying. A German couple on the other side were obviously arguing even though no one could understand a word they were saying. The only happy person in the place was an American sailor who sat by himself writing a letter. An old French woman who sold flowers came in and tried to sell flowers at each table, but no one was in the mood for flowers. She sat down and ordered a bowl of soup. Can you imagine, the flower lady said to the waiter, I haven't sold a flower all day, and it's soup for me on Christmas Eve. And they all sat there in heavy silence, never dreaming that there was a contagious spirit about to invade their lives. The American sailor finished his meal, walked over to the flower woman and said, Merry Christmas, I want two of your little corsages. How much are they? And she said, well, they're one franc apiece. And he said, I'll take two. And he handed her a 20 franc note. I'll get changed, she said. And the sailor said, don't bother. It is my Christmas present to you. Then he went over to the table of the American family and gave the wife one of the corsages. He pressed the other into his letter and said, Merry Christmas, everybody, as he walked out into the night. 
the atmosphere in that restaurant exploded with the Christmas spirit. The old flower woman began to dance and waved her 20-franc note. She invited the piano player to join her for a feast. He began to play happy music, and the customers all joined in singing. The boy who was slapped stopped weeping and joined his father in beating out the rhythm with his fork on a glass. There was such a jubilant spirit of celebration that people going by the restaurant came in to join into the singing. That sailor, and I'm proud to say I was one, that sailor was a carrier, and through his mouth, he infected the whole atmosphere with the contagious joy of Christmas. What a bug this Christmas bug is. When it gets into your system, it cures you of all the negatives that plague your life. Germs in the gospel have this in common. They spread by word of mouth from person to person. It is not true that only bad news travels fast. Good news can spread like wildfire. It did on the first Christmas. And we read, All that heard the news were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. This good news was not only contagious and spreading like wildfire, it was having a potent impact on all who were touched by it. They were amazed. They were astonished. They were in a state of wonderment. All these things are conveyed by their symptoms as they infected the good news of Christmas. Again, from Satan's point of view, the Christmas spirit was like a plague, and he could not stop it. He tried to stamp it out in its early stages, but Herod's plot failed, and the good news kept spreading. The gospel germ was too strong for his antichrist attack. It kept spreading from person to person, and today it has spread around the world. From Satan's perspective, it is the greatest plague in history. A little apologetic work for you. You know, so many of us, we, we hear the negatives on Christmas Day. The negatives about, there weren't any shepherds in Bethlehem during Christmas. Christmas wasn't on December 25th. Christmas was not this. Christmas was not that. You hear all these negatives. And one of the things that we forget was that Christianity was sought to be stomped out. They say, well, Christmas wasn't celebrated until Constantine in the 4th century. Christianity didn't really exist until then. No, I beg to differ. Because at the time, Christianity, if they found you were a Christian, they would try to throw you in jail or try to kill you. It was kept secret. People didn't talk about it. But they still celebrated it. And when Constantine put out his edict that all religions were to be treated exactly the same, Christianity came out of the, of the, of the, the small churches and the small back rooms where it had hidden, and it started being celebrated. And the birth of Christ on that first Christmas was celebrated December 25th. And all I can say to you is this. They thought about it. They knew about it. The Christians knew when Christ was to be celebrated. And the first day they could celebrate it, December 25th. I work in the medical field when I'm a chaplain. And I like to tell people that when you have an illness like this, and many of you might remember COVID, how it spread throughout the world. And, and I remember I was sitting in an airport lounge about, around a bunch of people from Beijing 
and we didn't even know about COVID then. And I went home so sick. They brought it from Beijing to me. And I probably brought it to Colorado. I don't know. I'm not taking any credit for it. That's not the kind of credit you want to have. You know. But the thing is this. Illness spreads quickly. But the gospel spreads quickly too. And when the doctor diagnoses you, it means they get a complete knowledge of your symptoms and are able to identify the disease you have. When I was in the army, I would go to sick bay when I was sick, and uh, the, uh, the little, the little uh, uh, corpsman would pull out his big medical book and drop it right in front of me on the desk. Boom. And he'd say, okay, tell me your symptoms, chaplain. And I'd say, I got a runny nose. So he turned to the page on runny noses, and he would ask me questions about my runny nose. And then if I answered a certain way, it would say, see page so-and-so. I'd flip to it. Or he would flip to it and say, how's your cough? Do you have a cough, chaplain? Uh, yeah, I do. Well, is, is it high up or is it deep down in your chest? Oh, it's high up. Okay. Okay, see page 32. He flipped to page 32. <laughs> and he would go down this whole list of things until he finally figured out, chaplain, you got the flu. And we got a shot for that. And so I, I would get the shot and I'd go, back to, I'd go back to work. He would go through all the symptoms and he figured out I didn't have the common cold, I had the flu. And if I'd answered different ways, I'd have had pneumonia. Right? I mean, go down the list. He, he knew what I had. But I want to say to you today that when you go through the symptoms of Christianity and the Christmas spirit, one of the first things that you have is something that's called wonder. Awe, astonishment, and wonder are the clear symptoms of all who were involved in the Christmas story. The wise men saw the wonderful star of Bethlehem, and they were moved to come and worship the child. You do not worship what does not create wonder. Let me say this again. You do not worship what does not create wonder. When I think about the Lord... And I think about Christianity, and I remember all the places that I visited when I lived in Israel. And it's interesting, you, see, you hear, this happened at this place at this time. And in Israel, you can go to that place, and there'll be a marker there. It's almost like every place that the Bible touches down on solid earth, there's a marker. And you can read about it. And it just amazed me. I started to become more and more interested in the scriptures because of my time in Jerusalem and my time in Israel. But there has to be some degree of awe to stimulate worship. That is why people are more likely to praise God as they, you know, as they look at the Grand Canyon than when they look at a molehill. I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon. It's an amazing sight. It's an amazing sight. Especially... When people are starting to say that it, that Grand Canyon might have happened not over millions of years, but maybe a few years. They're starting to find evidence that the, flood, that the huge flood went through there and carved it out real fast. And if you don't believe that, Mount St. Helens erupted back in the day. And by the way, this is a little rabbit, but like my seminary professors used to say, it's okay to chase a rabbit if there's some meat on it, you know. So... <laughs> I, as I, as, as uh, Mount St. Helens erupted, it threw lava over everything. But if you go back to Mount St. Helens now, there's a river, there's pastures. All the things that happened so long ago 
are kind of gone. And you can see Mount St. Helens. You can see where half the mountain blew away. But when you look down below at the bottom, all you see is nature reclaiming soil. When you look at the Grand Canyon, you think it's awesome. When you look at a molehill, not so much. But God was involved in all of these things. The spectacular and the wondrous compels the mind to think big. And when you think big, you think of God. The star of Bethlehem was big and awesome and produced wonder in those wise men. The angels produced the same symptom as in the shepherds. Their glory lit up the Judean field. The shepherds were filled with wonder as they heard the angels sing. Their wonder compelled them to run to town to see the great sight of this newborn king. And after they saw the Christ child, their wonder was magnified. And they amazed everything they knew with everyone they told with their awesome experience. I go out of my house at night and I live in the country. And so, you know, there's always a little bit of garbage that I got to throw out. So as I walk out the front door of my house and turn left to walk over to the trash can, I can't help but look up. And we don't have a lot of light pollution where I'm at. And the stars are just amazing. And if I keep my eyes in one place, I can look past the normal stuff and see way into galaxies. And it, it, sometimes uh, I have to be reminded to dump the trash and come back in. <laughs> I don't want to leave. It's so beautiful. All of us would be filled with wonder if we saw a bright special star in the sky that was moving. All of us would be filled with wonder if we were confronted with angels in the middle of the night. The wise men and the shepherds were not unusual men for catching the wonder that God sent into the world that first Christmas. It would take an unusual person to escape the contagion of such, awful, of such awesome signs. We don't have to put ourselves down because we can't match their spirit of wonder today. We experience it secondhand. We could if we saw the star and heard the angels, but we only have the record of their experience. And you can't expect to hear a man describe his awe at looking at the Grand Canyon and feel the same exact wonder that he did with what he saw with his own eyes. Wonder naturally decreases with each step that you are removed from the actual experience. We have no star to follow today and no Christ child to see. This was history and history that can never be repeated and experienced by anyone again. Even the most elaborate Christmas play or film cannot reproduce the emotions of the original cast that day. This is not required for us to have the Christmas spirit any more than it's required that we have the same emotions as George Washington to have that spirit of freedom and love for our land. The other symptom of the Christmas spirit, we go from wonder and we go to praise. I love singing the songs of Christmas. And you'll have to forgive me, but after I sing the songs of Christmas for December, I find myself singing them all the way to March. And I have people that say, Ed, you just got to get over that. And it's hard for me to do that. It's hard for me to do that. I've sang some of the most beautiful songs that have ever graced the earth. And it all started with Mary in Luke, the first chapter, 
when she began her famous song, My soul praises the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, who was next in Luke, said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he has redeemed his people. Then came the angelic praise in Luke, the second chapter. We sing it a lot. Glory to God in the highest. And then that of the, the shepherds in Luke 20, Luke 2.20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The Christmas spirit can be diagnosed in those who lift their voices in praise to God. That is why music is such a vital part of Christmas. Music is the instrument of praise. Christian songs are about praise to God for His wonderful gift and the love that would motivate the gift of His Son. The fastest way to get infected with the spirit of Christmas is to start praising God for what He has done for you through His Son. This sort of praise is very contagious. And if you let it start coming out of your mouth, before you know it, it's infected your heart and your mind and your whole attitude can be changed. Then it will leap to you, to others, and they will be infected as well. Praise is contagious, and just like wonder, it can spread rapidly. This year, you know, I, I like to give advice to people because I'm a pastor and that's what we're about. But what I would tell you is this. One year, I sat down with a book, a blank book that I bought from a store. And they call them diaries. I call it the blank book. And uh, I took the blank book. And every time that I saw God do something in my life, I opened the blank book. And I wrote the date. And if I remembered, I wrote the time. And I wrote what God did for me. And about July, uh, I'd start being feeling down about something. And I'd pull out the blank book. And I'd open it up and I'd start reading and before you know it, I had forgotten what was bringing me down. Because of all the things that God had done for me, and by July, I had filled almost 20 pages in that book. All the things that God had done, stuff that you forget about. Our mind cannot hold on to things very long. That's why we invented writing. And I would write all that stuff down. Now, unfortunately, I have lost the blank book. I look forward one day to finding it again. I can't blame my wife. I didn't know her then. I had lost it way before then. But the blank book of things that I gave glory to God about cheered me on so many years. This Christmas, so much is going to distract us. But I want us to bring into focus the real things that make Christmas special by asking ourselves, what would we want in our Christmas stocking? I remember as a child... My parents would put neat stuff in our stockings. I got a, one of these small transistor AM FM radios one year, about the size of my hand. And that was my favorite possession on camping trips for almost 15 years until I just wore it out. Many of you could tell of the sweetest Florida orange you got one year or when you got chestnuts for the first time and you had to put them in the oven and wait for them to pop before you could eat them. Did you ever wonder what Jesus would want in his stocking? I know that he has little use for material objects, but here are some things that I believe he would want that he would really treasure. I believe Jesus wants to love him 
with the same love that God has for him. I believe that Jesus wants us to help those in need. I know, I know that Jesus would want to be the first in your life. I know that Jesus wants your trust. I know that Jesus wants you to tell others about him. And I also know that Jesus wants you. As you live your lives, as Christmas comes and goes, and other things start taking the place of what you've experienced this year, I want you to know that Jesus wants you. And then after you've given your heart to him, he's going to want you to tell people about what you've experienced. He's going to want you to let them know where that spirit of Christmas comes from. Because do you think for one minute the joy and the gladness and the goodwill, all of that came from the store you just shopped at? Or the glass of eggnog that you might have had? Uh-uh. You were watching the Holy Spirit in action. You were watching the love that Christ has for all of us. And in that love, it's a love that needs to be shared. Just like the scriptures tell us, when you light a candle, you don't put a bucket over it. When you light a candle, you hoist it high so everyone can see the light. And we're going to see that light tonight when we come back for our Christmas service. But for now, would you please stand with me? And would you come and lead our music?